Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. And sometimes you pass on a deal and then they go back to market and the price comes down and the price comes down and you're like, man, at that price, it'd be hard to lose. And whenever we say that, it becomes a problem. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Chris Russa. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. How are you, Joe? Excited to be here. Been a long time listener. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm doing great as well. A little bit about Chris. He's the COO of DLC Management Corporation. Currently oversees DLC's asset portfolio of $3 billion. It's worth approximately $3 billion. 15 years of real estate experience located in Elmsford, New York. So with that being said, Chris, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on right now? Sure. So DLC is a company that owns and operates open air shopping centers. So some might call them strip malls across the country. We're in the Eastern half. And so we are a fully integrated platform. We are not a passive investor. It's our business. So we buy it, we own it, we lease it, we manage it, we build it. We do everything in-house. So we don't third party anything. And that's the niche we're in, which is we are buying value-added properties where they're under-leased, under-managed. We see opportunity that someone didn't, and we're trying to leverage the capabilities of the platform to access that value. Mm. Boy, this is going to be a fun conversation. I'm going to enjoy it because it's open-air shopping centers. Don't talk to a, a whole lot of my guests about that. And then also, you're the guy who's overseeing the whole portfolio and the value-add business plan. So let's talk about when you say you buy value-add properties, the open-air shopping centers that are under-leased and or under-managed. Will you elaborate on exactly what that means? Yeah, in commercial real estate, as most people know, it's an efficient marketplace and cap rates really drive 
that business. And so we're looking at higher cap rates and we're up deals and we're looking for vacancy because we're looking to add the value on the vacancy. So we're looking for things where we're only paying for the existing income and then we can come in and bring new income to the property and hopefully capitalize that income later. So that could take the form of a massive redevelopment that's a truly distressed asset, or it can take the form of something that we think just someone didn't have the vision and is underleased and undermanaged, meaning that there's probably more upside than meets the eye. But based on what we know, we have a portfolio of over 80 shopping centers today, and we've had more and we've had less since 1991. We've been around. So we have visibility into what the national tenants and local tenants are really up to. So we are sitting in the offices of a lot of national retailers or we're meeting them at events, whether it's Starbucks or Walmart or McDonald's or TJX. And we're working with them to learn what their plans are. We're telling them what our plans are. We can take that type of information and deploy that into opportunities where people might not have the platform we have that database, those contacts, relationships, and leverage that information into opportunities. Well, let's talk about that. Let's say you're at a conference, you meet a representative from Starbucks, whatever his or her title is, but they're relevant to you. When you say you learn about their plans, what questions do you ask and what are you ultimately trying to understand in those conversations? From a high level, we can talk about the publicly national companies like a Starbucks, they're announcing to the street how many locations they're going to open because they're projecting growth and they're promising growth to the street. When I say the street, I mean Wall Street, because every time they add a new store, if you have a store where your average sales are a million, well, if you're saying you're going to open up a hundred stores, just on net new stores, you're saying you're going to add a hundred million dollars of revenue to your business and you focus on the existing stores to grow revenue. So Those are two big buckets. And so the street's trying to get visibility of how many locations they are going to open because they'll be able to get visibility and what the growth rate is of that business. So we have context because we have analysts following who's opening how many stores nationally. And then what we're meeting is we're meeting with those people and we're trying to figure out what does their store prototype look like? So how many square feet? What type of product are they looking for? Do they want to be in line in a shopping center? Do they want their own freestanding building? What type of co-tenancy are they looking for? Meaning who do they want in the shopping center with them? What type of things do they want around them? We're looking to see what markets they're focused on because they have a whole market planning department that says, here's where we want to be. And we're taking a lot of that information and trying to see how we can help them achieve those goals. Hmm. What type of co-tenancy do they want around them? Everybody's different. So if you go to shopping centers, you can start to see that tenants end up close to each other often because they believe they have the same shopper and that's going to create a cohesive shopping experience. In In the enclosed mall world, this used to be a big thing when that market was really hot, right? You used to see... Abercrombie and Aeropostale and Pacific Sunwear and Buckle and all these tenants and clusters so that when the team went to the mall, they were all next to each other and they could shop everyone and rising tide raised all boats. Mm -hmm. 
I would say it depends on the demographic. Whatever your demographic is, you want to go next to a retailer who has a similar demographic profile. My career started in commercial real estate on the corporate real estate side. I worked for the Sherwin-Williams paint stores and I was opening up new stores for them, industrial offices, district offices, warehouses, everything corporate real estate. And one of the things we were looking for is there was a time period where we were looking to be next to breakfast tenants, whether that's Dunkin', Starbucks, someone like that, because the contractor comes in the morning, he gets his coffee and he can easily pick up his paint. So it depends on who your demographic profile is. Got it. When you're having conversations with your internal team and say it's whoever you report to, what are the questions that they're asking you about the performance of the portfolio? It's three partners. It's me, the CEO, the chief investment officer, the the three guys. So we're meeting regularly. One of the things we want to know are a lot of the metrics, because they're long-term leases, Typically, with fixed rates or fixed bumps, you have visibility into rental growth. What we're focused on is a little bit more typically, and we're focused on all those things like occupancy and rent growth and where we are, because those things move, no doubt. But oftentimes, we're having a conversation on sales. How is the retail sales in the center doing? Is the center comping up as a whole? Is the center going down? Because when we go talk to a retailer, if we can say this center is doing well and sales are trending up, well, that's a better story. And maybe the center across the street, the sales are trending down. And so we're getting more traffic and more shoppers. We're tracking traffic. We're talking about traffic all the time. We're talking about retail sales in our properties and we're comping that. So we'll say we have barometers to say how it's doing. Let's say Starbucks nationally, and I don't know this to be true, just a rent, is comping up 5% nationally. Well, if in my center they're comping up 8%, that's indicative of above average performance. What's comping up mean? Comping up means in retail and in the restaurant and all those fitness, they're comping last year versus this year. Are sales going up Comp or means comparison, right? Short yes. comparison. Okay, so they're comparing sales last year versus this year. Got it. And when you said Starbucks, I know it's just a random pluck from air example, but 5% versus 8%. What does the 5% indicate? If they were doing a dollar in sales last year and this year, the entire chain is averaging a dollar and five in sales. And then I said 8%. My store that I'm the landlord for in my location is doing a dollar and eight. That's a good story about the market Mm. and my property that here's what's going on nationally and here's what's going on specifically in my center. Mm -hmm. How easy is it to get that information about your tenants' corporate businesses and comparing their success or lack thereof to the location that reside in your shopping centers? Obviously, on a whole store's to the street, uh, retailers and restaurants typically don't have to report individualized store basis. They have to report on the whole. So it's a negotiated lease item, whether they're going to report or not to the landlord. So you'll see centers where certain tenants report and certain don't, and it was depending on the negotiation. So obviously, it's a critical business point, and landlords are fighting to make sure that retailers report sales so they can get intelligence on how their center's doing. And tenants sometimes do not want to do that because 
when the lease comes due for a renewal, if the landlord has visibility on truly how successful that store is, well, that puts them in a better negotiation position on rent, regardless of what the market rent is. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Both sides of the coin there. What is your response to that during negotiations? I would say standard, it's not uncommon for it to come up. There are some retailers that in general have a partnership with the landlord and there's an understanding that that's not going to happen. My response is typically that in order to make sure this is a well-trafficked center and to be able to bring in the best in-class tenants in that moment in time, we need to be able to understand the performance of the center. And if you don't report we're not going to be able to recruit all the nice co-tenants that you want in the center. Mm-hmm. And with that information, how do you go about recruiting other tenants into the shopping center? We call that merchandising the center. And right, merchandising is different today with e-commerce and things going on. You know, merchandising is very different, right? We have a lot of technology-resistant uses, whether it's I have a ton of medical uses in my centers. I have a ton of fitness Food and beverage with millennials has been the hottest category in the world. So merchandising, though, is what we call that. Who should be here? The first thing we think about when we're merchandising, and it's more art than science, but there is some science, is who is the consumer at the property today and who should the consumer be? That's the end consumer, the person shopping, which is not my direct customer. My direct customer is the local pizza guy all the way up to Walmart. But we need to think about that end consumer. So who is my consumer? Who should the consumer be? The next question we're going to look at, we have software programs and there's a lot of information out there to look at the total retail sales in the market. When we work with chambers of commerce and we have MasterCard can provide data to find out what the total retail sales are in a market. And there's a lot of companies that do gap reports to find out where there's a gap in the market of a based on the demographics and what they typically buy, what sectors or markets are not there. And it used to be just retail, but now there's a lot of gap reports on healthcare and hair salons and things that are service-based as well as retail goods. So we'll take information of who we think the consumer is, who the consumer should be, what gaps there are in the market, who is successful in the market today, who is successful in our center, and then take all that and put together a plan based on what we see working here and in other markets and try to go after those use categories and tenants in those use categories that we think are good there. So a lot of our team are proactively reaching out, whether that's cold calling the national retailers, trying to set up meetings, In the beginning of the year, we were in Dollar Tree's corporate office and we'd go meet with national retailers and they come to our office. There was a tenant in Rainbow Stores who came to our office today. They have 1,200 stores and we're meeting with them constantly and going over existing stores in our portfolio. How are they doing? We're going over renewals, potential expansions. We're going over potential new opportunities. And for the local mom and pops, it's the same thing decide there's no pizza guy in this town and there should be a pizza guy and we'll call on the hundred pizza guys that are within five miles to either open up a second store or maybe relocate their existing location our center because we think it's a better opportunity for someone listening to this who 
has retail centers, but they haven't gotten to the sophistication level that you all have. And they're looking to get their hands on a gap report based on the demographics for their area that they buy in. What's the best way for them to go about doing it? If you Googled retail gap report, there's a bunch of companies today. We're using a platform called Placer AI, which is focused on traffic more than actual sales. And they compare every market in the country. So it's called location analytics and geofencing. But if you Google retail gap report and a bunch of stuff, stuff. you could buy it. Yeah. Okay. Two follow-up questions, and then we'll ask your best advice ever. One is you said you track traffic to the location. I want to know how do you track that? And then the second question is when you do have the sales information and the sales are not doing well, what have you found to be effective in helping generate better sales, if anything? So the first thing on traffic, this used to be art. Now it's real science. We're using geofencing cell phones. So location analytics. So we know everyone who's come into the center and how long they've stayed and where they live and all that information. What service um, do you use for that? That's Placer AI. Oh, that's the same one. Yeah. So that's, that's what we're tracking. It. We just got it. This is new technology for my business. We have demoed a million of these companies and we like that user platform the best. We had a trade show at the end of the year and I joke, I was like, we have all these national retailers, all these landlords, all these brokers. I think the most profitable company here is Placer AI because everyone was like, <laughs> I was like everyone loving these guys. Okay. Um, right. So I'll summarize and then let's move on to the second question. So if I go to your strip center, when I drive into the parking lot, my phone's going to ping something and it's going to show up in your databases. Hey, this unique code, it probably doesn't have any identification, but it associates a code to me being there for how long, where I go, how long I stay, and when I come back or if I don't. Okay. I don't know it's Joe, but I no, know right, it's right. Yeah, it's just some code of, hey, here's an ID and here's what they do. Got it. Okay. Now, what about helping drive sales whenever you see it's faltering. What are some effective things you've done, if any at all? This is really dependent on product type. Your neighborhood grocery anchor center, pizza, restaurant, Chinese restaurant, H&R Block, and a shoe repair guy. It's different than a big enclosed mall that has Santa and all those things. So events are big. Creating experiences at the properties are one of the big things. I think we work with our retailers and partner with them on leveraging our marketing department to help them market. The national retailers are so sophisticated. It's really what we can do on the small shop tenants. The nationals will tell me that if the store can be saved and it's a good store that we need to do our job as landlords and go fill the center because it's a vacancy problem. On the local side, we'll try to do things with events. We'll try to do things with our marketing department, help them with the social media, right? Some of them are not as sophisticated digitally, and maybe they don't show up on Google Maps when you type in five nearest pizza restaurants, and we'll help them with things like that all the time. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Don't get seduced by the price dropping Will you elaborate? Yeah, we made some 
buys over the years where we were uncertain about the real estate and we're pretty risk tolerant, right? We're buying distressed and value add and deployment construction department. And sometimes you pass on a deal and then they go back to market and the price comes down and the price comes down and you're like, man, at that price, it'd be hard to lose. And whenever we say that, it becomes a problem. And so <laughs> the, pri- the price coming down, don't be seduced by the price coming down. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah. All right, let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com. Best ever deal that you've done? Personally, we did a whole repositioning with shopping center in Vernon, Connecticut. We had to work out a restructure with a lender. We had to terminate an existing grocery store, get a new grocery store with ShopRite, who just opened on Sunday, their grocer in the Northeast, and put HomeSense, which is a TJX concept store, next to them. It was crazy. During the construction, we weren't allowed to close down the pharmacy, so we were working with ShopRite and Price Chopper, who we terminated to make sure the pharmacy stayed open because it's a necessity for the community and you couldn't close it down. And it was crazy. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Seduced by the price. <laughs> How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? If you don't mind, we have a podcast, Retail Retold. The story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. <laughs> so people are like, ooh, they put a Starbucks over there and we bring you who they is and how it happened. And then find me on LinkedIn, rest on real estate. And our company website is www.dlcmgmt.com. That sounds like an interesting podcast. And if it's anything close to the amount of helpful information that I learned, at least, then that's a very valuable podcast to listen to. Chris, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for talking about your experience in asset management, overseeing the portfolio of about $3 billion and the lessons learned and some tips for other commercial real estate investors who are in that space. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day and talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joe. Take care.